Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and on this week's Archive Edition, we speak to Sir James Macmillan, the Scottish composer and conductor whose Stab at Martyr was premiered at the Barbican on the 15th of October 2016. Sacred music from another time and place. Let's discover the sounds and process of this composer. To be honest, I wanted to be a composer right from the start, although I didn't really know what that meant at that age when I was about nine. I'm certainly aware of, of things being much quieter here and that having an impact on my mood and my approach to work. Few living composers communicate with the emotional directness of James Macmillan. So the world premiere of his Stab at Marta was a major occasion, also taking part in the context of a day celebrating Macmillan's urgently communicative choral music. Harry Christophers conducted Britain's Symphonia and the Sixteen performing the Stab at Marta, and ex-Cathedra founder Geoffrey Skidmore led his ensemble through the London premiere of Seven Angels, a choral depiction of the end of the world. We'll discover more about both works in a moment. David Butcher, Britain's Symphonia's then chief executive, sets the scene. I mean, I think it's, it, it, of course, it's completely natural that to a certain point that, that composers, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of other composers and they're inspired by them. But I think it's always great when you hear that influence, you know, Victoria, uh, Shostakovich, Hugh, Britain, of course, huge influences for, um, for James Macmillan. And, and I think in this day and age, particularly, I'm kind of seeing more of that, um, more composers being open I think there was a moment in the 60s where it was almost like you, whatever you did, you did not want it to sound like anything that had gone before, of course. And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, that's, that's fascinating too and there's room for it. Composers like Macmillan, Ashley Barry and, and, and Ades and others that we work with, Hugh Watkins, hearing the influences mm. but through a, through a, a, a different... Um, lens if you like is always really really exciting because so often you know audiences think you know they need to have a kind of a, a doctorate in music to particularly understand what tonally Ades is doing in, or Macmillan is doing in a piece you don't and uh, I'm sure they would say that as well it should be immediate it should be an emotional response to the phone and a remote part of Scotland to speak to and learn more about the composer himself to begin with I wanted to ask about your first experiences of music and faith. Was this something that came into your life when growing up? Yes, I suppose so, yes. I, I, I started music when I was about nine years old with a little recorder and uh, started playing brass music and so on. After that, I grew up in the west of Scotland 
here. <laughs> Not too far. I wondered if the landscape crept into your work in, in any way. It's, it's hard to tell. I, I'm not conscious of it, but uh, it, it must do uh, probably, maybe maybe not landscape as such, but certainly context and, and place. I'm certainly aware of, of things being much quieter here and that having an impact on my mood and my approach to work, volume of work even, uh, I'm much more relaxed here than I, w- I was in the city. And I, I hear different sounds, sometimes no sounds at all, which is very conducive to work. But yes, it's, uh, I, I'm sure it must have an impact. I read there was a performance of Benjamin Britten on television that had quite an impact on you. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, Owen Wingrave was uh, shown on the television. In fact, it was written for television in the 1970s. I was certainly a, a youngster then. I think he might still have been alive. Uh, so it must have been 75, 76 I remember seeing that on the television and being very struck by it. It was uh, also the fact that Britain was uh, a living composer at a time when I was beginning to realise that all composers weren't necessarily dead. It was uh, quite an important realisation for me that here was this major figure who was just a few hundred miles down the road, as it were, and, and was producing this, this great music in their own time. And was music something you were exposed to when you attended church? Yes and no. I mean, one of my very earliest memories, even before I started playing music, was hearing music sung during a a liturgy. So I must have been about four or five. Uh, My parents would have taken me to Edinburgh for a holiday, visiting relatives, and they would have gone along to St Mary's Metropolitan Cathedral, the Catholic Cathedral there. And the the director of music at that time, looking back in it, was uh, Arthur Oldham, is his name, um, who was the uh, an English composer and choir master with Britain. He set up the Edinburgh International Festival Chorus, um, and he was um, director of music at that cathedral. So I must have heard music of a very beautiful standard, very high quality, and knowing the liturgy then it must have been music by the likes of Palestrina or so and so my one of my earliest memories was of music and ritual happening simultaneously I suppose Uh, and that that would have been uh, the music of Renaissance polyphony. One thing I haven't mentioned, I read that you were involved quite heavily with the music in your local church, something you must have enjoyed and found important. It was, but when we moved away from the city, I had to stop. I just moved out of the the orbit of the the church I was involved in. But yes, for 10 years, I I basically ran the music in a little parish in, in Glasgow. It wasn't very sophisticated what we did. I just had a little group of volunteers that got together. But I would write for them. I'd write for the congregation as well as the the choir. I certainly took a great interest in uh, music for the non-specialist in that way. And I always have. And I suppose composers in Britain over the last century have always shown that interest in one way or another with people who are not, who you you would describe as non-specialists, the amateurs, the congregation, ordinary people. I I certainly enjoyed doing that uh, at a church in Glasgow called St Columbus, which was a Dominican parish. It was was sad when it had to come to an end, but 
life is just too busy. I really couldn't do all my other work as a composer and be a capellmeister at <laughs> a little uh, little church. Because it was it was full on. I had to plan the liturgy, music for liturgy, week on week whenever I was there, play, uh, conduct. But it was, it was a delight. It was something I really enjoyed doing and writing very, very simple music for both uh, choir, scholar or congregation was, uh, it was a great challenge, but it was something I, I certainly loved doing. Was there a distinct moment where you decided to study music further? Well, I think whenever I was given, whenever I was given that instrument was the time I decided that I wanted to be a musician and to be, to be honest, I wanted to be a composer right from the start, although I didn't really know what that meant at that age when I was about nine. But the, the, the desire to write music really came simultaneously with the desire to play music. I studied in Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh University, uh, and then I went to, uh, I was a postgraduate at Durham University. I mean, I've always wanted to compose. Uh, it was just a case of finding the right interpreters and the, the, the relevant interest here and there. And uh, when you're younger, you're not really sure how, where that is or how, it, how you, how you uh, get involved with it. And it's, it's a, a gradual thing and you can get help, of course, and some of your... Um, uh, best friends being musicians can be some of your earliest uh, earliest uh, performers and um, interpreters which is, is always important for any any composer So maybe that's a nice link to what we're talking about now, uh, the two performances at the Barbican. Firstly, let's talk about Ex Cathedral. How did you come to write this piece for them? Yes, I wrote this piece, Seven Angels, especially for them. I've been aware of them over the years, and they got me to write a, a smaller piece a few years ago. But they were very keen, Jeff, Jeff Jeffrey, their conductor, was very keen that I wrote this larger piece. And it was him that suggested the text, or at least the the passages uh, from of a section of scripture that um, might work for this piece, uh, and it was it was a very vivid, very vivid poetry, very vivid words, uh, and it suited desire to write a, a quite a colourful and dramatic and um, mysterious piece for choir. Plus these other instruments, of course, like the, the various forms of trumpet that are used, cello, percussion, harp. But it's the use of the trumpet that uh, was exciting for me as well. Uh, not only do I use modern trumpets, but I, I use uh, natural trumpets, early trumpets, and even shofars, which are ancient Jewish uh, temple ins brass instruments. I used to be a trumpeter myself, so it was nice to get back to writing quite an involved part for these two players in the piece. And are they hard instruments to write for? The tuning and playing of a natural trumpet must be very difficult. Yes. I never actually played natural trumpets, so I had to do a little bit of research. I'm only used to the modern trumpets, modern instruments, but I've spent my life with trumpet players, really, so it was just a case of uh, finding out, basically, not just so much how it worked, because I was aware of the uh, the natural overtone series and so on, but how it might be blended with other instruments and certainly with voices, take into account any tuning issues that might arrive. But um, these modern trumpeters are amazing, the way that they can... Uh, lip things into shape uh, and make very diatonic 
and brilliant sounds out of these uh, tubes. That's basically what they are, old, old brass tubes. There is a nice correlation between the trumpet and the voice, both using the diaphragm and having a very physical effect on the audience. Yeah, it, there's, 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 there's a similar kind of uh, mechanism, human mechanism at work in the, the playing of wind instruments and singing. Uh, and it's something that's attracted composers over the over the centuries. Uh, brass and voices have been used in, in tandem in, in sacred music, especially uh, going right back to very early times, medieval times even. And this is based on the story of an apocalypse. So, how did you work with that? Well, the the, the book of apocalypse, book of Revelation, is is a fascinating compendium of strange stories and, and strange amazing visions. It is a kind of dream. It's a dream world. It said it was uh, imparted to the writer in a dream, as it were. Um, So there is a kind of dreamscape about that text and indeed a nightmarish uh, aspect to the visions as well. Uh, And that's why it's been such a vivid inspiration to artists through through the ages. Uh, One thinks of uh, Blake paintings uh, of the the woman woman of... uh, the apocalypse and so on. And uh, it's no surprise that the inspiration. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Goes on. Could we talk more about the Stabat Mater, a hymn to the Virgin Mary? It's the first large-scale work you've composed for the 16. What are the challenges of writing an hour-long piece? I suppose that the temptation is to try to vary elements of the delivery. But, you know, there is one particular mood projected throughout a text, like the Stabat Mater, which in a sense can't be interfered with too much. So in a sense, you have to surrender to the, the, the central point 
I mean, again, it's a vivid text. Uh, it's a very emotional text. Uh, it's a, a very human text as well as a divine text. It, it deals with the loss of a child. I suppose it's a kind of sacred kind of totem leader in a way, except it's the, it's the mother of God that it's about uh, and, and about Jesus himself. So it's a, it's, it's a huge challenge to, to write such a work. But there is a lot of text there, 20 verses, and, and it does does travel in various different directions, but basically um, there is a choir and there is an or- a string orchestra. But even within those two groups, there is a possibility for variation and different colour and different solos. Uh, the sixteen are used to, uh, as well as being a great choral ensemble, they are a, a choir of soloists, and uh, have been able to use individual voices from within the the choir uh, to their advantage. I was interested to ask whether you've been influenced by non-Christian faiths in your work. Well, the the the, the, the mother. The mother faith of uh, Christianity is, of course, Judaism. And when people talk about Judeo-Christian culture, there's a, 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 a very strong link between the two faiths there. And it's not just me, but a, a, anyone responding to uh, a Christian narrative or a Christian inspiration um, throughout the centuries, uh, obviously, um, acknowledges uh, the debt of, of, of a deeper uh, and older faith that goes back thousands of years even before Christ. So that, that link between uh, Judaism and Christianity is uh, unbreakable. And with this work, I believe you've re-explored some melodic ideas that you started or stated in, in previous compositions. Uh, yes, I mean, the uh, the, the scoring is, is the same as my seven, seven Last Words, which is uh, choir and, and string orchestra. And I take up uh, where I left off, as it were, at the end of that piece, the little fragments of theme, and they become the beginnings of, of the new piece. So li- there are little um, signals, as it were, uh, to, to the earlier piece. And is it important that the Stabat Mater is kept alive and can be reimagined and revisited like this? I, I think so. I think it, it's no accident. It's no surprise to me, anyway, that those of us in our time find great inspiration in these very traditional texts. This is a medieval text, and uh, composers, even James Dillon, has written a, a, a stab at matter recently. So there's a great wealth in that tradition, both textual uh, and cultural, and uh, I think it will, it will, for artists in the years to come, will keep renewing itself one way or another. Moving back to the concerts, do you think they succeed in being a journey through your work, even though they are quite contrasting in some ways? Yes, in many ways, in many ways they're contrasting. The, the, the mood of both pieces are, are very different. Uh, one, one is scriptural, uh, New Testament, or at least at the end, end of the Bible, that kind of strange dream world, as we were talking about. And one is this very um, plangent and tragic uh, human story, there's nothing very human about the book of Revelation. It's all uh, angels and uh, and demons uh, and the imagination. But Stabat Mater is, is about a mother and it's about a son. It's about a human human condition uh, as well as it being a sort of divine scenario. Very different moods there, different scenarios and consequently different music. The ensembles used are very different. The sound worlds are different. They will make a, an interesting coupling, I think. One is about 35 minutes, that's the ex-cathedra piece, and the stellar matter is longer. 
with a, a very different kind of feel uh, to the span and the structure of the music. And lastly, when you have a premiere such as the Stab at Marta, is it fair to say you still get nervous? Uh, yes and no. I never quite know what, what I'm going to feel like. Sometimes feel very relaxed. Uh, I've just come back quite recently from Oregon, where I had another big work performed over there at the Oregon Back Festival. Uh, and that was a setting of a, a Requiem, a Requiem Mass text. And uh, I was asked that there, am I nervous about the first performance? And I wasn't. And it was because I had attended rehearsals and it was the music was in very, very good hands. Uh, Matty Halls, the English conductor, is now the director of the... Oregon Back Festival and he knew exactly what he was doing he had a great orchestra and chorus and solos it's not just a question of competence that can make you nervous or relaxed but uh, uh, a whole a whole range of factors so I have to, to answer the question I have no idea what it'll feel like on the, in October when the Stabat Matters launched Thanks to James Macmillan for a generous insight into his work. Ex Cathedra's interpretation of Seven Angels was called a powerful, intense performance by The Guardian, and The Times said of The Stab at Marta, an overwhelming world premiere. And I'm sure Macmillan's music will return to the Barbican soon. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of Archive Finds and Theme Series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out.